2 Peter chapter number 1, we continue our series that we've been speaking on the last several weeks, um, and it's called Add, adding these series of Christian graces to your life, and it will help you live a godly Christian life. You see, there's a lot of Christians that aren't very godly, and that's not the way it ought to be. I think we ought to be godly if we claim to be a Christian. So, 2 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 5 this evening, the Bible says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience. I've got to be honest, I wasn't necessarily looking forward to preaching on patience. I heard a long time ago, the last thing you want to pray for is patience. Uh, we're always afraid of the trials that might come our way if we actually pray for something like patience. But before we get started tonight, we must realize that there's a great need of patience in our life before we can really even care to listen to what Scripture says on how to get patience and what it may look like in the Christian life. So tonight, would you consider just a few situations where patience would be so vastly important. I can imagine patience would be very important in the home. How many marriages could have been salvaged by a husband or a wife who was willing to exercise just a bit more patience with their spouse? How many lessons could have been taught to a child if a mother or a father had just showed a little more patience to that child without growing frustrated? How many fights could have been avoided between siblings or married partners if they had just been a little bit more patient towards one another? Patience is important. I can imagine patience would be important in the workplace. How many co-workers might have seen the love of Christ in our life if we were to exercise patience to a customer or a frustrating situation? How many times could we have kept our testimony by utilizing patience in the face of a bad situation or maybe an employer who mistreats us? Patience is so important even in our everyday life. How many bad decisions could have been avoided had we just been a little bit more patient before we rushed off and made the decision that we did? How many impulse buys could we have avoided had we just had a little bit more patience? Patience is so important in church. How many relationships might have been salvaged and fellowship kept intact if someone had just been patient in a God-honoring way? How many souls might have been saved if we had just continued to travail in prayer instead of giving up on inviting them to church or asking them about their salvation? How many bus kids might have stayed in church if we had just endured a little bit longer through all of the times when they shut our attempts down to try getting them on the bus? How many friends and neighbors would have tended, attended our church with us if we had just continued to invite them, invite them to every big day? How many people would still be in church had just a little bit more patience been shown towards the pastor in maybe a situation that they didn't fully understand? How many ministries would it be filled with people still serving the Lord had we just 
strove through seasons of unfruitfulness in ministry. Patience is important. And what we like to say is, well, I don't want patience, but the reality is we need patience. Because we never know the things that go undone when we fail to exercise patience. So far in our study, we've kind of created a really good Christian, haven't we? We've created a Christian who who has exercised his faith and placed his faith in Christ and now has a saving knowledge of Jesus. And that's the start of every great Christian, right? We all start the same place. You must start at Calvary. It begins in childlike faith. There are no master's degrees when it comes to believing at Golgotha. It's just childlike faith. That's what the Bible says. So we have a pretty good Christian. He started out in faith. Then this Christian added virtue or moral excellence. This Christian had a desire to be like his Savior. Then this Christian added knowledge to his life. And that was important because without knowledge, you don't know what God wants you to do. You, you can be like God, but knowledge helps us to know how God wants us to be like God, where God wants us to be like God, and when He does. And that's where knowledge comes into play. And as this person moved on, he added temperance. And we looked at that last week. It's self-control. Being willing in the face of temptation to control their self. Now remember, we said that it's not always our willpower. It's not just us wanting to do it, but it is God working in us to give us the desire and He gives us the supply as well. So we're working hand in hand with God. Now that we've created this great Christian who has the foundation of faith, who's added to his faith virtue and to his virtue knowledge and to his knowledge uh, uh, self-restraint, if you will, or he's added to his life uh, the ability to be patient in, in times of trial. So what do we add now? What, what could get this Christian off course? Well, I'll tell you what it is. Testing. You see, so far he's just overcome the world. So far he's just added to himself self-discipline. He's added temperance. He's added knowledge. He's added virtue. He's added, uh, he had faith to begin with. So now he's learned how to act like God, when to act like God. He's overcome the world, if you will. But overcoming the world is not the entirety of the Christian life. At some point, our, our faith will be put to the test. And did you know you never really know the value or the validity of your faith until it's actually put to the test? You see, I could have bought my wife a cubic zirconian diamond and she would have never known the difference. But somebody would have been able to tell. When it's put under the microscope by somebody, oh, I don't know, say Dave's Jewelers in Granbury, he would be able to tell that it was not a real diamond. A shameless plug for my brother's business there, amen. He would have been able to tell. And you never know how valid or valuable your faith is until it is put to the test. I wonder why, though, there's such a taboo now that the Bible is telling us to add patience to our faith. Why do we say things like, well, the last thing you want to pray for is patience? Why are we so fearful of gaining this great grace in the Christian life? I'll tell you, because of the trials that we might have to face to get, faith, to get patience. See, I was in college, and I went through college. I didn't have too much trouble with it. 
I didn't have a great GPA or anything like that. My wife and I both graduated in three and a half years. It was a four-year degree. Uh, we started taking 21 hours every semester. Um, we would go through every uh, interim that was possible. We took every Monday night class. We were trying to sque- squeeze all these classes in so we could get married earlier. And so, praise the Lord, we got done in three and a half years. And we got married in January right after we were done in December at college. So we were trying to get through. And I, I didn't find college extremely difficult. Now, there were challenging courses, obviously. But the only thing I found difficult was when, you know, procrastination, like preacher said this morning, procrastination is such a, uh, it's the favorite doctrine of the Baptist church. I mean, I was, I was the guy that knew full well the syllabus said my project was coming up, but I wanted to, you know, sneak it right in under the buzzer. Uh, uh, I'll never forget the time in my biggest project I had to present all my years at college. It was the paper I told you about several weeks ago in Bible Doctrines 2. The teacher got up in front of the class and he said, Andrew, is there any reason that your mom sent me this email? And I said, well, Brother Lester, she was uh, proofreading it. He's like, okay, well, I just wanted to make sure she wasn't doing it for you in front of the whole class. It was awful. Well, you know why that didn't come from my email? Because mom had to sneak in the read about an hour and a half before I actually sent it in for class. I was, that's the only thing that I found college difficult. Now, my wife helped me out a lot. Never forget my Greek teacher. We had these Greek cards, just like vocabulary cards, where on one side it would say, uh, like, logos, and then on the other side it would say word. And we had to make that so we could, you know, understand what the words were and learn the vocabulary words. And I'll never forget, we're sitting at the coffee shop. It's called The Great Awakening. Isn't that a clever name for a Baptist Bible college uh, coffee shop? The Great Awakening. And we're sitting there. And my wife and I are enjoying our evening. I think I even had my iPhone up. I had the candle app leaning there, you know. So it was a very romantic dinner with the candle app just burning the electronic candle. I'll never forget my uh, teacher came up to me there and he goes, Amy, you have such beautiful handwriting on Andrew's Greek cards. It's wonderful. And he didn't mind. It wasn't like we were cheating or anything, but she did help me out. So I didn't find college all that difficult. But I, at our college, there is this one event that every man must go through that is incredibly difficult. It's called oral exams. Now, that sounds like you have to go to the dentist, doesn't it? <laughs> but that's not what it is. Um, our oral examination is basically where you go into a room. There are two men in front of you that were your professors in one class or another, There's a team of about 12 men that sit on the panel for this. And and you go into a room with 12 of them. And you take an unmarked Bible. And in many cases, if you don't have one, they'll just hand you like a Gideon Bible. No cross-references, no concordance, nothing like that. It's just you and the Bible. And they'll begin to ask you questions about what you believe. They'll start at... Uh, they'll start with a Baptist distinctives and they'll say, uh, Andrew, what is that you got in your lap there? And I'll say, well, it's the Bible. And they say, well, what, what is that? What does that mean to us? And so I, say, I have to say, well, the Bible, I believe, is God's word. Well, where does it say that? Well, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, 
for correction and instruction in righteousness. God's word came to us. Not only does it say that, but it says in 2 Peter 1.21 that the Holy Scriptures came not in old time by uh, the will of man, but God gave his word to us. Holy men of God were moved as they were spake, as, as the Holy Ghost moved them, and they were spake as they were moved. And so God's word came to us, not by our own uh, will or not because some guy sat down, God's word is profitable to us. It is his word and he gave it to us through the Holy Spirit's inspiration on man. Now this goes on for hours, two hours in fact. They'll sit you down and they'll ask you everything from Bible, uh, uh, autonomy uh, of of the church. I mean, they'll they'll go through everything. I'm telling you from uh, just the, the, the hardest doctrines to the easiest. We even got into foot washing. So, I mean, this is very hard. You study for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours for this exam. Not necessarily knowing what you're going to face. You just study it. You make your own little study guide and some of the times they get pretty thorough. I still have mine in fact. It's, it's several, several pages long, verse after verse with about three or four verses on every topic that I could come up with. It was very hard. Now, I've told y'all before, thankfully, I broke my leg three days before oral exams because that was the only way I was going to be able to be disciplined enough. I was uh, confined in my bed looking at that oral study guide. And you know what I remember from that? Out of all the classes that I took, I learned more in my preparation for that one test than I learned in any class throughout my four years of college. Some of the greatest lessons are taught by the hardest tests. It's true in school and it's true in the Christian life. We ought not fear patience. We ought to look forward to getting patience and understand sometimes that's accompanied by a hard test. Why do we need patience and how are we going to get it? Well, we all need it. And if we're going to get it, we need to understand what it is. So we'll number one tonight look at the definition of patience. The definition of patience. Now, you've all heard this saying, patience is a virtue. We would have slides tonight, but when I got to church, my tire was making this noise. I showed up an hour early to make my PowerPoint slides, and it just didn't happen because I was uh, plugging my tire and I was airing up my tire. So no slides tonight, but if you'll stay with me, hopefully we'll be able to stay together. We've all heard this saying, patience is a virtue. Well, if it's a virtue, why is it a virtue? What is patience? In order for patience to be admirable or desirable, surely it is more than just being able to wait well. Have you ever seen those contests where they'll like give away a car and there's this group of people that gather around the car and the last one to leave the car wins the car? I don't think it's admirable that those people are doing that. I think it's ridiculous. You know how nasty that would be around that car? There's no bathroom around the car. You know how bad body odor stinks after a little while? I don't think that's admirable at all. Just because you can wait a long time, I don't appreciate you because of that. So why is patience different than just waiting? Well, if you look at the Bible in Romans chapter 12, verse number 12, the Bible says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. 
James chapter 1 verse 3 says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You know what you find in Scripture? Patience is almost always accompanied with some sort of struggle. Testing, trials. In some cases, it's simply the unknown. But patience in and of itself, just the ability to wait is not admirable. The ability to wait in adverse conditions becomes admirable. When things are tough, it's harder to wait. But that's when we should wait. You see, last week when we were looking at temperance, that taught us how to deal with the pleasures of life. But now we look at patience, which teaches us how to deal with the pressures of life. Temperance is good and it helps us with self-control. But patience is when your faith is tried, how will you handle it? Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines patience as this, bearing pains or trials. So we can assume that patience is not just waiting, but patience is waiting in great distress and discomfort. So the definition of patience... Now, that might not sound like something that, oh boy, I want to hop right into that game. I, I want some patience. I want to be able to wait well in trials and, 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 and struggles and adverse conditions. That's where I want to go. You see, nobody wants to live in North Dakota. There's just people that have to. <laughs> I, 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 you know, people probably look at us and say, why would you want to live where it's so hot when you could live in Michigan? Well, it's because I believe God's you know, New Testament promised land is the state of Texas. So that's why I'm here. What do you believe about it? But, but you know, people live in adverse conditions all the time. I mean, we, we would look at them and say, well, why do you live there? The reality is we need patience. And if we're going to get it, it will only come through adverse conditions. Number one, the definition of patience. Number two, the design of patience. You see, I kind of omitted out what Webster's Dictionary said about patience. Webster's Dictionary does not completely define patience as bearing pains or trials. In fact, it goes on and says, bearing uh, uh, pains and trials calmly or without complaint. And you look in Scripture, it is not enough to wait in your trouble. But waiting in your trouble without complaining is a whole nother deal. I believe the Bible tells us that we are to do all things without murmurings and disputings. Do you know where that verse is? It's actually in Philippians chapter 2. It's verse 14. Do you, are you interested at all to know what verse 12 and 13 are? Uh, well, we can do this. Verse 12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And it says, uh, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure Do all things without murmurings or disputings. Now, in this series, we've been saying that that those verses are the authoritative verses on how we work in the Christian life and how God works with us in the Christian life. And yet it follows it up by saying, and as God works in your life, whatever He puts you through, do it all without complaining. Have you ever noticed how contagious complaining is? It passes from one person to another. The second we think we're permitted to complain, everyone will complain. I want you to take your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16, if you will. 
since I was too lazy to put it up on the screen, let's just flip in the Bible together. Exodus chapter number 16. I believe this, that any time God puts His children through a trial, there is a purpose for that trial. I don't know what you believe on that, but I just don't think God's up in heaven hitting us with the trial stick completely at random. I think there's a reason for all that God does. God says He's not the author of confusion, so why would He just send us through things? Exodus chapter 16 gives us a great example of people that were put through something and how they handled it incorrectly. The Bible says in verse number 1, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after departing out of the land of Egypt. Now, based on my calculations, that's 44 days after they've left Egypt. The fifteenth day of the second month, there's 29 months in uh, 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 the Hebrew month. So I think that's right because it says, it's not saying the second month, but it's saying the second month after they departed out of the land of Egypt. So 44 days, they've been kind of in the wilderness. The Bible says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. That sounds very drama queenish, doesn't it? Just, just really... Oh man, let's imagine the worst possible scenario and go to that. My daughters do that sometimes. You know, Bailey, when a toy's taken from, you know, Bailey takes a toy from Caitlin, Bailey thinks it's funny. When, ba- when Caitlin takes a toy from Bailey, oh, the world's coming to an end, you know. We're automatically at a 10. We're going to scream at the top of our lungs, and they're very Bailey like in that situation. The Bible says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather at a certain rate every day. I want you to read to the period with me, ready begin, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Remember what I said, every trial has a purpose? You know the reason that the children of Israel are put in this situation to where they think the hunger is so great, they're just going to pass away and they're going to wither away and they're not going to, you know, nobody's going to remember them. It would have been better for them to just stay in Egypt. Why are they going through this? Well, God tells us in verse number four that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. It's the same reason that he gave a command in the Garden of Eden. It's the same reason that he told Abraham, Abraham, I need you to take your son, your your only son, and take him to the top of the mountain. I need you to sacrifice him there for me. Why did God do that? So that he could know if they would honor him. There's a purpose for it. Verse number 5. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron and unto all the children said unto all the children of Israel... At even then ye shall know the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning then ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? Now this next verse may sound kind of silly because of how many times the Lord refers to their murmuring. And Moses said, 
This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full. For that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us. Say that next part with me. But against the Lord. Now I direct your attention to verse number 2. The Bible says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron. Huh. Now, we all know that the children of Israel were pretty comfortable murmuring, right? It was kind of their M.O. It's who they were. It's what they did. Every bad situation, every potential problem, boy, they murmured. And they were good at it. I mean, they were professional murmurers. And God says, the reason I've put you in this situation is I want to prove whether or not you will walk in my law. I'm going to give you a very simple command. I'm going to tell you that every morning you're going to wake up, you're going to see manna on the ground, and you're going to go out and you're going to gather manna, but only gather enough for that day, because if you bring back too much and try to store it, the next day it will be useless to you. But on the seventh, sixth day I need you to go in and I need you to gather double. He gives very clear instructions for what they were to do. And by the way, did you know people still disobeyed him? But God says, I'm doing it to prove you. There is a reason for the trial that you are in. And their murmuring, according to God, was not seen as against Moses and Aaron as they thought it was. Who was it against? The Lord. Oh, sure, you can complain all you want to. And you say, oh, God doesn't have a problem with it because I'm complaining about this person or this situation. God sees it as complaining about Him. So if, if we were looking at it, the definition of, uh, of patience is that we would be able to wait in adverse conditions, but you must add this to it, without complaining. You see, my daughters can wait on things. If I tell them that, you know, in about three hours we're going to get candy, they can wait. They have to wait. But man living with them for the next three hours will be unbearable because they will not let you forget that you, you told them they're going to get candy. Can we wait? Can we honestly say we can wait in our trials patiently in adverse conditions without complaining? See, there's a definition of patience. And there is design to patience. And number three, here's the delight of patience. Here's the reason you need it. Now, if you will, take your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. The reason we need patience is, I personally believe, patience gives hope no matter how adverse the conditions. Patience gives the believer hope no matter how adverse the conditions. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I think you could honestly say here that the Apostle Paul is in a great trial of his faith. The Bible says in verse number 8, We are troubled on every side. Have you ever felt that way? Man, I've got it coming at me at home. I've got it coming at me from work. I've got it coming at me from the kids' soccer team. I've got it coming at me from everywhere. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed. You don't know what to do. Yet not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Amen. Cast down, but not destroyed. 
Can we all agree that there's a trial in Paul's life here? We all agree that these are adverse conditions for him. He goes on to say, Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always uh, delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken, we have believed, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. As we consider the delight of patience this evening... You say, Brother Andrew, you're already on your third point. We're almost done. Well, I've got five observations I want to share with you now, all right? Number one, the delight of patience is this. Patience brings about peace in our life. He says, we're we're in trouble on every side. We're distressed. We're perplexed. It's obvious that he feels like he's at his end of his rope, but he says, hey, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we may be uh, in trouble on every side, but we're not distressed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken or deserted. See, he was a preacher. He alliterated his points. And uh, cast down, but not destroyed. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going wrong in our life, but for some reason, in the middle of this trial, the apostle uh, Paul is able to have hope. He's able to be okay with the situation at hand. Well, how does he do do that? Because patience promises us that no matter how large the mountain, how dark the valley, or vehement the storm, God is working on our behalf. Patience promises us that. Now, you don't have to complain in your struggle. You don't have to let everybody else know you're going through it. God is with you in the middle of your problems. Patience brings about peace. The psalmist said it like this, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. When you have a God like that, you tell me the problem that is so big that you need to give up on working in the Christian life. When you have a God that promises to be all that and more for you, you tell me the problem that ought to derail you. You tell me the problem that is so great that you can't handle it with God's help. You see, patience brings about peace in our life. Number two, patience reminds us of the picture of the Christian life. Verse number 10 of chapter number 4. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. 
You know what he's referring to there? He's referring to the death that every Christian must die. He says it like this, For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I uh, uh, I live, not I, but Christ liveth within me. He's referring to the fact that he every day, no matter the situation, no matter the problem, no matter the struggle, no matter the trial, no matter the, the, the issue in his life, he says, I die to what I want for me and I trust what he's doing in my life. Every day is an opportunity to do something for God and represent Him on a grand scale. We are a living sacrifice. It's actually an oxymoron. We are a living martyr is what it's saying for the Lord Jesus. Every day we'll face problems. How do we handle those problems? Patience reminds us of the picture of the Christian life. Number three, patience realizes the promises in the Christian life. Notice verse number 14. The Bible says, verse number 14 of 2 Corinthians 4, Knowing that He which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Don't you love the promises in the Christian life? You know, in fact, even Peter makes reference to this in our passage in 2 Peter chapter number 1. He says, And whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Aren't you glad we have promises? You know, promises like this. The man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's a good promise, isn't it? Don't you just love that in Scripture? That God says your days are short and while you're here they won't be happy. While you're here, you're going to have trouble. While you're here, you're going to face issues in your life. John chapter 15. Don't you love this? This this promise is, I cling to this. I, I think of this promise daily. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore, now listen to the precious scent of these words, the world hateth you. Don't you love that? Isn't that wonderful? No, we we don't talk about those promises. We talk about the great promises, but the reality is that's a promise. And, And we will face issues in this life. What we want is we want the Christian life that faces no struggle, but that Christian life is not biblical. We have got to understand that while we're here on this earth, we are not at home. We are ambassadors in this land. We are not residents. And and, and so that being the case, we look at these problems and we say, I don't like that. But there are other promises like this. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him. The Bible promises that our days on this earth are short and full of trouble, but it also promises us a day that is going to be wonderful. A day when, as the hymn writer says it, our faith becomes sight. Where everything we've believed up until this point and all the sacrifices that we've made up until this point become the reality that is right in front of us when we finally get to see Jesus 
see, our days down here might not always be happy. Our days down here are certainly short. Our days down here are full of trouble. But the reality is that one day Christ is coming for us. And when He comes for us, we will be wrapped in the, uh, the robes of His righteousness, be placed before the throne of God, and on our forehead it will be stamped, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What a wonderful promise in Scripture. The Bible says it like this. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, ye may be also. He promised that if he was to leave, he would come back. He promised that He was preparing a place for us. And so, yeah, when we're in the middle of our trouble, when we're in the middle of our trial, we're just thinking, man, this is going on rough. Man, this is just a tough situation. But you know what patience allows you to do? It allows you to look up and realize that God is working on your behalf. And this trouble will not last very long at all. God will take care of His own. Patience reminds us of the picture. Patience brings about peace in the Christian life. Patience always realizes the promises of God. I, I don't know how many of you know Blake. Uh, Blake walks around here sometimes. Basically, if you see someone longingly look at, looking at an instrument, it's probably Blake, okay? Blake is a wonderful young man. He spent, oh, I don't know, maybe... I think he graduated through the youth department. I think he came as a seventh grader and went all the way through the youth department. So we spent a lot of time with Blake. He went with us on uh, uh, things. We, and, and just the other day, we stopped by Blake's ha- uh, house. And Blake's a wonderful young man. He's, he's mentally handicapped. And he stays with a, a bunch of other uh, young men just like him. And it's a really cool place. But we, Blake had been begging me for a long time to stop by his house. And so the other day we did... Blake took us back, man. He wanted us. He wanted to show us everything. He wanted. To, he took us into his room. He's like, "Hey, brother Andrew, come look at my room and my my bed sheets." I think he had Batman bed sheets, and man, he was loving it. He was he was loving the fact that we came to see him. In fact, we walked outside. He's like, hey, Brother Andrew, uh, Brother Charlie and Brother uh, 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 Kevin were with us that day. He's like, do you want to help me uh, drag this big limb and put it in the dumpster? And I was like, yeah, manual labor. Sounds great. That's exactly what I was looking forward to doing. So, so me and Blake, and we all helped, and we grabbed this limb, and we just had a wonderful time spending time with Blake there. And it was really a great time. When we're about to leave, Blake said something like this, and I don't want you to think that he's being intrusive here. You just got to know Blake. He's, he's a wonderful young man. He said, Brother Andrew, can we go to Dairy Queen? I said, Blake, I can't go to Dairy Queen today, but I tell you what, one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to Dairy Queen. I'll just come get you. I asked the lady there what I had to do. I just have to sign him out. We'll go and we'll get Dairy Queen. And I said, you know what, we'll just spend the afternoon together. Blake will have fun and and, and I'll take you to Dairy Queen. That was about two months ago. And every Sunday since then, you know what Blake's question has been to me? <laughs> Brother Andrew, we can go to Dairy Queen. Brother Andrew, when are you going to come by and go to Dairy Queen? Can you do it this Saturday, Brother Andrew? Yeah, Blake, I'll try to see if we can make it work this Saturday. Blake, I'll try to figure it out. Yeah, but I promise I'm going to come again. I, I promise I'm going to get you and we'll, we'll go to Dairy Queen. It's going to be awesome, man. 
Why do you think he's looking forward to that so much? Why do you think when he sees me or thinks about me, it's his very first thought? Because Blake is excited about that day. And when I look at Christians' lives and I know that the promises of Scripture apply to them, I just don't look at happy enough individuals. Why are we of all men most miserable? Why are we the ones that are sad all the time? Our Savior said, hey, one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you unto myself. I'm going to take you to a place that's a whole lot better than Dairy Queen. Why aren't we excited about that day? That promise applies to us. And in the middle of our situation, what we've got to understand is God is working and allow patience to have its work in our life. Patience not only realizes the promise, but patience also sees the plan of God. Now, don't mistake me. We don't always understand the plan of God. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. We don't always understand that. Uh, God's ways are unsearchable. His, his, his ways are past finding out. So we won't always know what He's doing, but we will be able to see that there is a plan in place. Verse number 15, the Bible says this, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace through thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. There's always a plan in place, and the plan is always the same. Some country preacher years ago probably said it like this, and I've heard it said many, many times, and there's no better way to say it. Everything God does in our life is for our good and for His glory. There's no doubt about it. The The Bible tells us that God is working in our life. And if we can just understand that God is worried about how we handle our situations and the way that we handle our situations speaks volumes of the type of faith we have in Christ. I reminded of the men on that boat that night when the storm was just a rock in the boat and they were all worried and they're professional fishermen, mind you. And they're on that boat and they're going back and forth and back and forth and they're, the water's overtaking the boat, Scripture says. And the Savior is asleep in the boat. He's able to sleep through the storm. So I don't want to hear it when I can sleep through earthquakes in California. Jesus slept through a pretty bad storm. And they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you not care that we perish? No, no. Jesus cared that, you're, that you perish. But Jesus wasn't going to let you perish. There was a plan in place. He knew what he was doing. And he says, oh, you have such little faith. God's working in our life. There's always a purpose for the trials in our life. But patience is able to see that plan. James chapter 1 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You see, the the Bible tells us that patience is so necessary. Trials in our life are so necessary in order to achieve patience. Are we able to handle adverse conditions without complaining? Because that's what God desires from us. So what we see is patience brings about peace in the Christian life, no matter the situation. Patience reminds us of the picture of the Christian life. Patience reminds us of the promise of Scripture Patience sees the plan of God. And then finally, I'll leave it with you like this. Patience achieves perspective. 
Remember we just read about the children of Israel in the desert? Oh, it had just been better and we died in the middle of Egypt. I can't believe we came all this way. I mean, we saw the Red Sea crossing and it just is so bad and there's nothing's going our way. It's just, they lost perspective. Have you ever noticed we like to look at our issue as if it's bigger than any issue any person has ever faced before? We, when we start comparing our issue, we're like, yeah, but you haven't gone what, I, what I've gone through. Yeah, but you, you know, when somebody comes up and they say, hey, I know, I feel what you're going through. I've been there. I know what you're going through. And in the back of our mind, we're literally thinking, there's no way. But if we were honest with ourselves, we would realize that people have gone through much harder situations than us. We would realize that God's not going to put us in a situation that he's not ultimately in control of. And the situations right in the middle of them, we begin to lose perspective. It's kind of like when you're lost in a fog. You don't know how far things are from you. And you, you just, you don't know, you don't have depth perception. It's just you can't see your way out. You're not sure which way to head. That's the way we get in trials. And we lose all sorts of perspective. But Paul gives us perspective here in verse number 17. For our light affliction... Now, I want you to, in my case, I have to flip back over. Let's read verse number 8 again. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And he says, for our light affliction. He says, ain't no big deal. What we're going through, man, people have faced worse than us. Oh, it's, it's not that bad. What is that? What in the Christian life allows us to go through the hardest of difficulties and still understand that God is in control? Amen. How do we do that? Patience. And we allow those trials to culminate and develop in our life those things which God is working on. Oh, there's a lot of Christians who've had it harder than us. I couldn't imagine seeing my children separated from me and me going to prison for preaching the gospel. I couldn't imagine having to watch my father die at the stake, be burned at the stake for the faith, yet many, many Christians have had to do that. I couldn't imagine having to meet this Sunday morning under the, the guise of some English-speaking class, knowing full well we were coming to worship, but if we were caught by the government, we would be in trouble and we would go to prison and we may, may even get, have worse things happen to us. I couldn't imagine that. There's people all over the world that have it worse than us. Our afflictions are light afflictions. He says they're light afflictions. I want you to see this in verse number 17. Which is but for a moment. No matter how long it may seem, there's always an end. There's always an end. I've seen people have to, like that song said, I've seen uh, people walk through the darkest of midnights. I've seen faith put to the test. But in each trial, he knows what's best. You see, what we must understand is that our afflictions are light afflictions, and they are but for a moment. I like the halftime interviews and the post-game interviews on sporting events. I'm sure you've seen it before where the athlete has had a good game or whatever and they come and they're all sweaty and they just got done playing basketball or football or whatever it is and, 
and you know, there's this uh, person there to greet them as they leave the game, and they say, hey, uh, what do you think about the performance today? Well, you know, we just played great as a team, and you know, it was, it was a tough-fought battle, and uh, y'all know what I'm talking about. I wonder if we could, like, stage that same thing for the three Hebrew children. Like, I want to post-game interview them. And I want to do it approximately right when they're in the fiery furnace. Now, I know that would be difficult to do, but you know the story. They're thrown in the fiery furnace. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar looks down, hey, didn't we just throw three in the fire? And, and uh, they say, yeah, that's, that's how many we, we, we threw in there. And, uh, uh, and the king says, yeah, but I see four men loose and walking around. And the fourth has the image of the Son of God. I want to stick a microphone in their face right then. At that precise moment. And I want to ask this question. Was it worth it? Was the struggle, was the trial, was the fear, was the angst that you faced, was the handcuffs, was the prison guards, or was the guards, was the fiery furnace being turned up, was that worth it? I think we all know the answer. There's no doubt in our mind what the answer is. They're going to say, yeah, man, we're chilling with Jesus. Yeah, we're right here in the fire with our Savior. You know what? They never had a doubt the fact that, they would be, that God would be in that fire with them. He says, oh, King, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But if not, we be not careful to answer you. We will not bow to the image. They weren't worried about it. They knew God, whether physically in presence or uh, abstractly in presence, God would be with them in that furnace. Was it worth it? So I don't know what you're going through. I feel bad for the camera guys. I really do. Did you see that move? That's like NFL combine type speed from that pulpit to this. Sorry, guys. I, sorry. No matter what you're going through, I don't, I don't care how bad it is. Your home's a wreck. I'm sorry. Uh, your children don't respect you. I'm sorry. Uh, life has got you down. You don't understand what you're going to do. You've lost your job. You don't know what your kids are doing right now. You raised them right. They're not here tonight. You, I, I don't know what you're going through, but I promise there's going to come a day when you look back on it and you say, God was working. And at that moment, I want to stick a microphone in your face. And I want to ask you one very simple question. Was it worth it? To see God work in your life? Was it worth it to understand that the sovereign Lord of lords and King of kings of the entire world and all that is, was it worth it to know that He really cared about you? Was it worth it to know He is working all things for your good and for His glory? Was it worth it? And I promise you, your answer will be a resounding, yes, it was worth it. You see, our trials are just light affliction. Our trials are but for a moment. And I want you to see this finally in verse number 17. And these afflictions worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's like he puts the struggle that he's going through now on a scale with the glory that will be revealed in heaven. He says, for this worketh for us an exceeding great weight. That's, I don't know if that's the way you read that, but it's like he's, he's weighing it. And he puts commitment to God, staying faithful in the situation, using patience and, and knowing that he's honoring God in the tough situation. He's weighing that with the temporary satisfactions of the world and the afflictions that he's facing. He's, he's, he's weighing the two. The temporary for the eternal. That which is to come for that which is now. And he weighs it. The other day at VBS, we did something very similar. We had a penny offering. I want you all to know that those bus kids raised 790 some odd dollars to send to the Cone family in Thailand so that they could stay on the mission field, so that they could witness, so that they could be the missionaries that they need to be. 790 something dollars. That's pretty awesome. Well, every day we would have this penny offering and it was pretty unique because we would see the guys carrying the buckets down the aisle. And the first night, I think the buckets were tough to handle. But as the week progressed and kind of the competition got more fierce, you saw that the buckets became much more difficult to carry. In fact, one night, I believe it was Brother Sean O'Dell brought one of the buckets down the aisle and he had to stop and take a break about halfway down because it was just too much for him to handle. See, the buckets had not only pennies in them, but they were able to buy bricks and they were able to uh, buy all these uh, 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 like actual bricks of pennies. And then they could actually buy like bricks that you would build a house with and, and, and you buy a brick for $10. And so, man, these, these penny buckets were full to the brim. They were heavy as could be. And we had this scale right here. We'd put it right here in the middle. And the scale was pretty awesome because Brother Charlie would almost, he would always try to make it interesting, you know. It's like, maybe the boys, maybe the girls. But if you paid attention, you could just tell which one was heavier based upon the guy carrying it down the aisle, really. But even when, uh, when Brother Charlie was letting it go, you saw that he had to keep more weight on the side that was lighter. No doubt, every time he removed himself from the situation, the one which was heavier won. I mean, it was like catapult, man, whoosh, just like that. They never sat there and, whoa, who's going to win? I mean, it was pretty obvious who won. If, if, if Paul is truly putting the temporary, the struggle of this life on the scale with the eternal glory which shall be revealed. I want, you to, I want to tell you right now, there is no doubt which one is more important to him. He says, the things which are temporary, look at it in verse number 17, for our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He, he says, what, that which is to come is so much more valuable than that which is now. And I see this bucket just, whoom! The eternal is far more valuable than the temporary. Here's my question. Which one's more valuable to you, though? 
See, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, I'll endure the affliction now for the glory which is to come. The Apostle Paul was a different kind of Christian. I mean, he just he was he was right on point. Are we there though? In the middle of our trial, in the middle of our struggle, are we willing to say, God, whatever you're doing in my life, I trust you. A while back, I had this thought. And it's in terms of stewardship. It's really in terms of anything. But any time in the Christian life, we are given the opportunity to take a temporary asset and turn it into an eternal resource we ought to hasten to do so. In other words, if we can take filthy mammon and turn it into treasures in heaven, why wouldn't we do that? If we can take struggle in this life and turn it into glory in the next life, we ought to be the first ones in the line to do that. And yet I still feel like most of us say, yeah, I don't think we ought to pray for patience. Patience is important. It's one of the Christian's life, uh, Christian graces that Peter recommends for a godly life. See, even Jesus faced struggles. I mean, he had to deal with the, 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 the disciples. Could you imagine that, being Jesus, having to hear their ignorance sometimes? Hear them bicker about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Hear them bicker about, uh, you know, all these sorts of things? And yet Jesus exercised what? Patience. Jesus faced everything we face, and yet he always exercised patience when he needed to. Is patience important to us? It ought to be.